Cheryl Shaw, Dr. David Tabret, wonderful to have you both in. Cheryl, I know that rain is probably going to feature in your topic. You've got a beautiful rainbow brooch on today. I do. And we're going to be talking about rainy day blues. Oh, do our dogs get them? Our pets get it as well. Absolutely, Sarah. I thought I knew everything there was to know about animals, but clearly I don't. That's why we're here, Sarah. Yes. And David, (laughs) what are you chatting about today? Something very similar. What are the dangers of rainy days? Well, this But I'm going to talk physical dangers. Okay. Mm. Good one. So topical, you two. Oh, Oh. we're on it. It's marvellous. And of course, if you want to give us a call, hello, we want to speak to you. Kether is in Newcastle West. Now, she's got some issues with her staffy cross and having some gunky ears. Is that indicative of the weather as well, David? Not always, but um, maybe that's a factor. Mm, Okay. We'll look at that next. Heather has done that. She's in Newcastle West. Heather, welcome. You've got a staffy cross and some ear issues happening. Well, actually, I was listening last week to uh, everybody talking about their dog's issues. I have a seven-year-old staffy cross. She's had multiple problems since very early on. However, um, about eight months ago, um, I thought the listeners might be interested, I was prescribed a compound um, by the vet um, that I've been regularly putting into her ears um, and I've had no problems whatsoever since. Mm. Um, so that might be of interest um, to some people. Um, it was just something that was made up by the vet. I put, uh, draw it up into a syringe and I put it in about once a fortnight um, and I've, had to, I've never had to use the, the drops ever since and she's had no ear problems. So whatever's in the compound is either keeping the, the ears dry or you know, um, in a in a good in a good way. So I thought some people might be interested um, in that type oh, of thing. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now I have used similar treatments in the past. So there's kind of two threads here. One is that we do have commercial products which will often dry ears out and help with specific treatments. And sometimes we find that uh, although we've got those our dog's ears still have problems. And so there is actually some formulations and recipes, if you like, that we can use. Oftentimes it will be ba- uh, based upon uh, we do an ear swab and we'll culture an organism and we go, well, that particular you know, antibiotic that we need to use, it's best if we mix it up. And so a lot of the time we might actually end up mixing up a product to use and using it on a regular basis if it's Uh, more of an ear cleaner and a lot of those have um, some degrees of uh, certain acidic um, liquids that we use malic acid is one of them lactic acid is another one Um, and the the idea is what we're trying to do is to once we've got control of ears and and by that i mean that they're not producing all that gunk and and the pus and so on which is basically inflammation and infection and a big factor there is moisture so yeah. in asking about, you know, what the recent weather, there's an increase in humidity. So if a dog's ears doesn't have good ventilation, so for instance, dogs that have got floppy ears, yeah. we see more problems. Dogs that have got hair in their ears, we see more, more problems. And if we can get the ears to dry out, and a lot of the time that's what these products are made to do, is to dry the ears out. The main uh, organism that we're trying to get rid of is a yeast organism, Candida. Okay. That's the one that causes... The and tri- Well, it usually triggers the environment. And that starts off and then bacteria come in. So, you know, if you leave these things too long, we get down there and we'll take a swab and we'll find, oh, there's three different 
bacteria or yeast. So oftentimes keeping them dry, and I think Heather's hit on the really important thing here, do it regularly. Yeah. If you do it regularly, you'll keep on top of it. And as Heather said, like it's eight months, which is great. Keep That's it up. Awesome. Well, thank you for um, the call, Heather, and, and giving us that information. 49216216 is our number if you've got a question for Dr. David Tabrit today. Rain, Cheryl. I mean, I know we love it when it comes, but, you know, in moderation, please. It's obviously just caused a lot of havoc. A lot of people have really suffered and we're, we're over it. And that's your topic today is the rain and how it impacts on our animals. That's right, Sarah. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, you've probably heard of the seasonal effect disorder that happens to people. It's called SAD. And just like us, dogs can get that as well. Now, you think about what happens when it's raining. We don't have as much sunlight um, and the daytime levels are a lot lower. So what actually happens is the um, the levels of melatonin in the brain are lowered and so that actually makes us feel more vulnerable, a bit stressed, a bit depressed and it's really important that we understand that dogs can have mood swings as well. Some of the, the gloomy weather and that lack of daylight exposure results in um, less activity and more sleeping. I know that my dogs have been curled up on the lounge for the last week. Uh, another reason for the sensitivity is um, in dogs is that the fluctuation of the barometric pressures alter the dog's um, psyche as well. So it's really important that we understand that there, there's effects on their behaviour. Um, and dogs have a particular um, strong um, hearing. They're, they're super, super, supreme hearing. And what happens, sometimes rain can be frightening to them. So you'll have that really heavy downpour of rain and the dogs get quite freaked out by that, particularly if it's, um, you know, those really when it's associated with thunder and, and things like that as well. With there's so much moisture in the air, dogs um, like it, it actually makes the particles smell more. So you'll notice that your dogs are sniffing a lot more. So they're sniffing around the ground and taking in those odours that have changed. So that's another thing that you'll find with your dogs when you take them out to go to the toilet. That's if they'll go out to go to the toilet in the <laughs> rain. Because a lot of dogs don't like to get their feet wet. No. So you have that problem as well, that sometimes there'll be inappropriate toileting and they'll start going inside when they don't normally do that um, because they don't want to go out in the rain. It is a good idea to get your dog a raincoat so that you can take it out so that it actually doesn't get saturated. One of the problems if a dog gets really wet is they're going to chill there and we can end up with the dog getting pneumonia because if it stays wet and cold, it's going to have reduced temperature and it, some dogs, particularly puppies, older dogs, dogs with health um, compromised conditions, um, they can actually get quite sick. This is a thing that happens to dogs when they get too saturated. You know, there are certain, obviously, breeds that we see are more susceptible because um, obviously a lot of, for instance, sporting breeds yes. might be more used to being in water. Yep. And actually their genetics, but also their coat is set up to tolerate that. But that kind of saturating damp rain, and particularly if, say, their bedding gets damp, then that leads to all sort of skin problems. I find the ones around the feet are a problem. And if the dogs are licking, it's in their mouth. And obviously then the risk is it's... Is going to enter their airway. Yep. Mm. Having an absorbent towel near the doorway when they're coming in out and a towel to dry their feet is a really good idea oh, yeah. during the winter yep. and a lot of rainy times. But, you know, we need to be careful that our dogs um, are getting enough stimulation as well. Just because they can't go on their walks and they're not going outside, they still need stimulation. So whether that's playing an indoor game, whether it's having you know, a few extra cuddles,
cuddles, but interacting with them a lot because otherwise you'll just find them laying around and they will be feeling really miserable. It's really interesting, Cheryl. I, I mean, I know how it, it affects us mm-hmm. as, as humans and even just after a week or just over a week of rain, we start to feel a bit, you know, gloomy and getting the sad disorder. And we hear of obviously Scandinavian countries that are plummeted into darkness for months on end. But didn't really think that, you know, how it would affect our our pets. But obviously it's the very same way. They get lethargic and obviously get a little bit sad. Yeah. Well, you can see some of them really present very miserable. But you've got other dogs that will go out in the rain and play and, you know, roll in the puddles and get really muddy. But majority of dogs don't do that. They they just close down. They shut down. And even cats... Cats normally, if they're indoor cats, will go and lay on a windowsill to get lots of sunlight. Mm. And when that sunlight's not there, it's having an effect on them as well. I think the biggest thing also is the behaviour of pet owners. So as you said, Cheryl, you've got to get out and walk them. Get a raincoat, get one for your dog. Yes, and you, you will both be rewarded yep. for the experience. David, just on that, some people act differently when it rains as well. They become depressed and then their dogs They're, pick up yeah, on that behaviour. That. That, so that's a behavioural thing that's happening because of their owner's disposition to the rain. There you go. Well, some really good tips because we know that the rain will come plenty this winter. So yes. some good tips there to get out and about with our pets and preventing us from getting sad. Now, we've got uh, Padma on the line from Windale. Padma, your poodle doesn't want to socialise with any other dogs. No, my do- I got Kaburu, but she don't like the other dogs. Since baby is still, she's only one year, three months old. Mm-hmm. She don't like the other dogs. Um, do you have dog- other dogs or just the one? Only just the one. Just the one. So where are these other dogs that um, your little one is running into? When it's in the bunnings or something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. We go bunnings because it's next to my house, not yes. far away. Yes, yes. She loves to go there when she sees the other ones and she starts barking. Now, <laughs> there's a real... When they, they yes. go near, then she's frightened. What about uh, down at the park or something like that? No, I did not went in the no. park because I am not well myself. Yes. Okay. Because one of the things that happens is when you take your dog into Bunnings, I'm guessing you have to put your dog in the trolley. Yes. Yes. yes I know that's part of it. Yes. And so what happens is now you're pushing the dog around yes. and the dog is at your level. Yes. And it's kind of like when a dog is in a car, that's its territory. So yes. it sees another dog and it goes, yes. well... I'm in my territory, you're in your territory. And so they actually have a kind of a possessive nature about that space. Um, And so they'll become more, it's not aggression per se. Like you said, they just don't want to socialise. But I wouldn't suggest that Bunnings is a great place to socialise dogs. Um, I think that um, obviously if she was a bit more mature and more socialised in any environment, then when she goes into bunnings, she might not bark at other dogs. But uh, I would never encourage anybody to bring two dogs together in that situation. No. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's not the place to do it. So I think you do, no. you do need to do a bit of exercise where you have to get your dog mixing with other dogs. Yeah. And the dog park is not always the best way to do that. No. Because a lot of people just will not tell you what their dog's behavior is like. And yeah. you go there and next thing you know, there's a big kerfuffle. Yeah. Um, but neither is Bunnings a great place either. Yeah. 
she's very little doggy, you know. Yes, a little cavoodle. Yeah. Yeah. So there are um, other there are other places like you can actually talk to um, either uh, pet behaviourists, often organised play groups. Um, I do know that um, some of the grooming places around run this yeah. kind of play groups where dogs get to do um, yeah. socialising, and I think that's a much better environment. So Cheryl, you've you've been involved with um, running this sort of thing for dogs, haven't you? Yeah, and it's really important to understand that not all dogs are going to want to play and interact with other dogs. So getting mm. getting oh, the, get, I put it I put it at the canine in the bonus screen, and I put it and tie the money there too. But, so it's been in I, a couple of puppy play groups. Yes, a week a week she was there. Okay. Uh, a week's not very long. No. No, because I think you, you, you're trying to reset. First of all, you've got to get over the initial fear. You've got to get your dog comfortable, and it takes a little bit of time. So I yeah, think you'll need a lot It has to be managed, managed properly, and the dog put with dogs that they're going to mm, get on with mm. and closely supervised. That's really important. Yeah, it takes a while mm. to get this sort of thing where your dog is comfortable with other dogs. I don't socialise at Bunnings because we're busy eating the sausage sandwiches. So, you know, there's <laughs> got to be the right time and the right place. Yeah. Mm. You don't give your dog sausage sandwich. Oh, no, I eat that. No, don't, because, no, they often put onion on it, and onion is toxic to dogs. Yeah, yeah. You knew that, Sarah. Of course I did. You've been doing this show long enough. And if they get too much fatty meat, they get, what is it, gastro? Yes, gastritis. Mm. Figured that out when Gizmo was quite young, anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Padma. So good luck with that. Let's go to Krista now uh, in Waratah. Krista, you've got a misbehaving puppy. I, I shouldn't laugh. Um, yeah, I, I, I do laugh sometimes, but sometimes I'm pulling my hair out. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's going on, Krista? Well, she's a six-and-a-half-month-old Labradoodle. Yes. And she's, she's very friendly and loves everyone and jumps all over everybody. But at home, we've been throwing the ball, you know, playing indoors, which she loves, and then she likes us chasing her around the lounge room. Which right. I've been doing, but then sometimes I don't want to do it anymore. And then she'll she'll come up to me, drop the ball at my feet, I'll ignore, and then she starts biting at me and then barking and then yes. takes on quite an aggressive stance because uh-huh. she obviously wants to keep playing. And, I, and she won't let me pick her up. Like if I want to pick her up and put her outside to the toilet or something, she won't let me. She keeps running away and I think we've got into a bit of a bad habit. Well, you have diagnosed the problem very accurately. You have yeah. got into a bit of a bad habit. However, there's a couple of things. First yeah. of all, all is not lost. She's very young. It should be pretty easy to get back on track, but the sec well, pretty easy in terms of time. The second thing is you're going she you're the smart one in the relationship and you have to start changing things otherwise because she is not going to um just simply do stuff that you yes. want her to do unless you are able to set the boundaries and to understand her behaviour and her uh, language, how she's communicating, um, and we establish some of those boundaries because, you know, some of the things that you were telling us um, show that, you know, really you've given up a lot of this space to her, that yes. she's con- starting to control things. So the good yes. news is it's not too late for sure. You can always train dogs yes. and it's much easier when they're younger. Um, one of the things that you've established, though, which is going to be helpful, is that she is very responsive to some rewards. Yeah. Um, 
So for instance, obviously playing with the ball, your attention, there's some good rewards. Now the problem is that your attention actually can be used as a reward, but it can also be a burden as you found out because then she starts to demand things by biting at you and barking and things like that. What do you do in those circumstances if she barks or bites at you? Well, I normally, um, I'll try and grab her, as I said. Like, we've still got her in a crate Okay. at night, and yep. I try and grab her to put her in the crate for a little while, and I know we shouldn't be doing that as a punishment, but just no. to calm her down. No, so here's what I want you to do. Yep. You, you need to get some uh, small food treats, okay? Yep. Don't, um, actually, do you feed her all the time, or does she only get fed, say, twice a day? Well, she's actually my daughter's puppy, but my daughter lives with me, so she's kind of my puppy as well. We both feed her, but I tend to feed her in the morning. I think twice a day, but just don't leave food down all day, okay? Because oh, no, no, we don't. Yeah, right. twice a day, morning and, after, morning and night time. Yeah, because what I'm going to say next, it won't work if you're feeding her all the time. Yeah. Um, what what we want to do is get some food treats. So anytime she misbehaves and you want her to do something else is you ask her to sit and when she sits, you give her a food treat. And then I would suggest having a collar on her and putting a lead on her and, again, give her a food treat. Take her to the back door, get, ask her to sit, give her a food treat. Put her outside, give her a food treat. Every two minutes that she's well-behaved and not barking, you go out and you can give her a treat. And then what you can do is extend that time where she would sit at the back door and just be calm and quiet, okay? And then if she does that, then I would say you could bring her inside and if she's well-behaved, then she could either be crated. But now she's being crated just because she's quiet and calm, not because you want to put her in there to calm her down, okay? So you're going to need to transition her behaviour away from this demanding thing and that's with your the food treats and ultimately your attention and if she's sparking, do not respond. You can't respond to it. You have to wait for her to stop. But as soon as she stops, then she gets the attention and the treat. And that's just going to be repetition over time. Repeat, 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 repeat. Okay. The interesting thing is it actually doesn't take that long. All right. We, we kind of We kind of think, oh, it's such a big effort. If you break it down to very small steps and you just repeat, 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 you do it every time, you'll get, get it there really okay. quickly. Some really good advice. Look, we've got a free line now if we can help you, if David Tabrick can offer you some advice with your pet, 49216216. Let's have a look at our pet of the week. We've got Fraser. Now, this little guy apparently is a bit of a tsunami in the body of, am I saying this correctly, a Basenji? Basenji. Basenji. Mm. Never heard of this breed of dog. Mm. I've learnt two things today. They don't bark, Sarah. Really? But he's mixed with a chihuahua, so what, you, what happens there? Chihuahua's bark. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> so, okay. So what? What? So don't, don't bark a, a busenji. Basenji. Basenji. Mm. What, what are some of the characteristics of a basenji? They love to climb. Okay. Mm. Do well, they? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a tree in the backyard, they'll climb up it. Like a goat. They're a cat yeah. dog. Oh, they're lovely. 
Okay, mm. so he, he looks gorgeous. He's obviously a bit bigger than very a intelligent. Chihuahua. Yeah. Um, very intelligent, cute as a button, but they are saying don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, this little guy can be rough. I think he's probably very smart, as you've said. Um, so, look, he loves going for, for rides in the car, although I think it can be a bit difficult to get him out. So he's going to need a little bit of training. He needs boundaries and consistency. Um, he needs a specific home as well with someone that has a little bit of time. So probably someone that doesn't have kids and he's not a big fan of other dogs. So he really is the star in his own world. But look, he looks gorgeous and he looks like a lot of fun. So if you're in a position uh, to offer a little bit of time and to do some more work with Fraser, then please go have a look at him. As I said, he looks a little bit naughty, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> Even his photos, he's gorgeous he though. Look, he looks cute. Oh, he's gorgeous. Uh, head to our 2NURFM Facebook page, 2NURFM.com.au. Okay, let's go back to the phones. We're going to go to Helen now. Um, now, Helen is in Cessnock. Helen, how can David help you today? Um, good afternoon. I have a, um, a spaniel, um, and she was incessantly like, scratching and gnawing at herself. So I took her to the vet and they prescribed some um, prednisone. And I followed the course of that. It didn't make any difference. Sorry, I'm just just we're just struggling with the phones here. That's okay, right. There I we go. Went yep. to the vet and we've had a course of prednisone because she's been chewing at herself and it hasn't made any difference. Is that no? So I went back to the vet yes. and I gave her an injection. Yes. Um, that had a very little effect on her. It's only one spot. She's sort of itching it will wake her up out of her sleep basically and she'll scratch and scratch i've even had her to the groomers and just to make sure she's comfortable with her skin and yes um, but she's still i don't want to keep giving her a lot of drugs so to speak yeah if nothing's going to work and they've just told me it can be seasonal um so you said it's only one area though yeah she'll, she'll scratch behind her ears but there's a patch on her um, nether regions where she's been like biting it. But there's no fleas. She's been fleed and she's been yes. wound and yep. everything. Okay. And um, I mean, skin problems are such a common thing for our dogs. Yeah. yeah. But um, oftentimes, like particularly when we think of using cortisone and, and medications like that, or we start talking about seasonal, then we're concerned that we're dealing with an allergic problem. An yeah. allergy is you know, internal. It's a overreaction by the immune system. Okay. Um, and so well, what we're doing with the medication is often trying to alter the response, okay? Mm. I think going... I was wondering... Be- yeah. I'm wondering if it can be a food allergy, huh? Um, she only gets, like, the pores, pet food. Like, she doesn't get things that she shouldn't be eating, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'll cook her up meals myself as well. Sometimes we do see food as a component with allergic skin disease, but I'm actually just wondering whether it, uh, how we know that it's an allergy. And so there are various tests that can be done. And coming back to your first comment about concern about medications, I think that's wise to kind of go, okay, well, we tried this, this didn't work, we tried this, this didn't work. I'd be wondering and talking to your vet again about do we need a skin biopsy, do we need some blood tests, skin scrapes. There's also intradermal testing. Now, sometimes your vet can actually conduct those tests. Sometimes they'll refer you to a veterinary dermatologist um, 
because you know once we start getting into that pathway where we've tried the initial stuff now we need to try something else so i would go back to the vet and say doesn't work let's try something else hello we're talking pet chat let's go to the phones now uh hello to you vicky you're in the rath mines now you've got a, a question or a comment on feeding native birds no, it's actually a question. I started to feed some baby kookaburras when we had the bushfires. Now I have a whole family of six or seven, but I also have two baby kawawongs, and I can't count the amount of butcher birds um, that I'm feeding. But my question is, I don't know if I'm, I'm feeding them fresh, like, steak. I'm not feeding them minced meat or anything like that. And if I don't feed them, they come inside my house and eat my cat food. So I'm not sure if I'm feeding them the right food or not. So a lot of the time, particularly after an episode like bushfires, I think there's displacement of animals away from their territory. There's also well, loss of they their... They actually live in the tree across the oh, road. Oh, do they? Yep. All of them? Yes. Uh, well... Oh, they brought, they brought their cousins. No, no, the kookaburras actually live in a big um, nest in the tree across the road, a big... There's a termite nest in that tree, and uh, they live in that tree. Uh, yep. The currawongs live in the tree up the back. And I'm not sure, too sure where the butcher birds live, but they fly from everywhere. They'll come in. So one of the things, yeah, they'll, they will lose um, their normal native diet, I guess, if there's displacement. Another thing that happens is, um, like we said, with the butcher birds, they might have moved from a different territory. So if the other ones mm. were already there. So there's this mixing of um, different species in this case and also different individuals. They don't fight, and they all no, have no. to just sit beside each other. I'm not worried about the fighting. I'm worried about the viruses and diseases that spread between mm. them. Okay. That's, that's why I'm ringing to see. Yeah. If I, if I stop feeding them, which I tried to do, I, they keep flying inside, and I find them in the lounge room and in the kitchen, and even the kookaburras have tried to come inside. Oh. Well, they, they've worked out where there is a ready source of food, but um, two things. One is... We need to shut the door. Um, I don't want them inside because they're they're wild animals, and um, their you know their exposure is going to create problems. Mainly because they now become dependent on you, and that creates problems for them. Um, second thing is that it's very hard to match the diet. So, for instance, they, they don't come every day either. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. they're, hopefully they're getting some food sources elsewhere. Okay. So one of the things we often talk about, and I've seen magpies with this, where people have fed just mints, so it's not a fortified diet, like there's no calcium, and their beaks are broken because mm. their bones are stripped of calcium. Right. And a lot of these birds will actually um, feed their nestlings. So they'll take the food, and then they go back and regurgitate it and give it to the nestlings. And now the nestlings aren't getting a proper diet. So it actually works in a couple of different ways, plus the viruses and bacteria that are being shared. Um, so we generally would say don't feed native birds. Ultimately, yes, you end up with nice animals in your backyard, but the problems that you've already experienced, um, Vicky, are just going to add to things, and I think it's safer to not do that at all. It'll take about a week, and then you'll find they'll, they'll still be oh, in the tree. As I said, they don't come every day. They only come every few days. Yes. But as I said, the butcher birds are the ones that are coming inside. Yes. The currawongs and the magpies, I do see them flying all around the areas and they are eating in other places because I see them down in the grasses and the bushes and whatnot. Well, that's okay, good. Okay, so better off just to have a bird bath. Is that right? Just have your... No. 
Not a oh, bird bath. Nothing. Not even a bird bath. Yeah. Oh, for the, but for the same reason that I was saying is that they end up with spreading disease. So it's best not to do that. You know what? It works best. Lots of nice trees. Okay. All right. Yeah. Plant more. Okay. Thank you very much for that call. Uh, Vicky, let's go to Leslie now. Leslie, thank you for waiting. You're in Salamander Bay and um, you're talking about training your 13-year-old puppy. 13 and a half, yes. She's a ship zoo cross Maltese. Mm. Um, can I just briefly say that I'm 70-odd and I've had animals my entire life, mainly dogs and cats. Never had a problem with any of them. They all died of old age. Um, but I have this little puppy. She thinks she's a puppy most of the time. And I've always had a, a little problem with her. Um, so what's your question? What? I, I, um, she's been a barker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of have my way of stopping her. Um, just by using the word stop, it takes me a couple and it's a voice change and normally she will. Yep. But in general, she's not been the perfect dog that I've had my whole life. She's always been a little bit of an issue. Anyway, I was watching a lot of um, TV programs about pets and what have you and I was trying to follow this thing about treats and, yes. and how that works and I was listening to you earlier. Yep. And in particular, I was listening about uh, how another lady or how you should feed your dog twice a day. Um, I have to confess, I don't think my dog is the problem. I think I am. Oh, that yeah, um, that was because of the age of the dog that I yeah. suggested twice a day. Sorry, Generally, it would be once a day. So let's get to the question. We're just running out of time, that's all. So what's your question to David, Leslie? All right, sweetheart. For all this time, every time I have a coffee, I give her a treat. Right. Often. So should, um, should you be giving her a treat or not? Um, as... That's not a bad thing, but make her do something for it. So if it's get, asking her to sit, don't just give her a treat for not doing something. She okay. has to do something for All it. All right, let's try and get to Patricia because uh, I know she's been waiting too. Now, you're having trouble with toilet training your puppy, Patricia. I am, yes. Um, Tom is nearly two. Yes. And he he just won't toilet train. Okay. Is he inside all the time, Patricia? <laughs> He's an inside dog, yes. but he loves to race around outside. Oh, excellent. Okay. So a couple of things that are very basic with getting this uh, dogs in toilet training. One is that if they need to have a space inside where you're starting from. And so depending on where they sleep, you need to make sure that you can put something down on the floor and they pee on that. Step one. Step two, we shrink the uh, mat or most of the time an absorbable pad or newspaper, we start to shrink it so that the space gets smaller and smaller and smaller. As long as they stay on that, we're good. And then eventually we can actually remove it. Put them out last thing at night, first thing in the morning and after every meal, and that's the way to get it done. There you go. And that's it for Pet Chat. We got through those last couple of calls. Look at David. You need a Bex and a lie down now. <laughs> Give me a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cheryl Shaw, thank you so much for My coming pleasure. in, David. Thank, thank you. So wonderful. Sarah. And thank you to all of our listeners who called in mm. today. Yeah. Much appreciated. Of course, Pet Chat will be back same time next week.